The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. Good evening, good afternoon, whatever side of the country or world you are on. Welcome to winningponies.com. I'm your host, John Engelhart. We're going to have a very interesting show this evening. Uh, the man who wrote the book, The Kentucky Derby. That's right. His name is James, we call him Jamie Nicholson, from, yes, the Nicholson family that's been in the news all week, um, wrote the Kentucky Derby, How the Run for the Roses Became America's Premier Sporting Event. And if you're listening to this show, I'm sure you have the same attitude. And to, to compliment uh, his appearance on Winning Ponies, we're going to have the one, the only, Jude Feld. Uh, Jude's done just a little bit of everything in racing, uh, from being a uh, a thoroughbred trainer, uh, working for the Daily Racing Form, uh, running handicapping contests, and now he is on a horse racing radio network. So uh, Jude, a, a very well-known handicapper, is going to take us through uh, that segment. Uh, we've got uh, two three-year-old races uh, that probably won't have an impact on the horses that get into the Derby. Uh, we do have an update for you, though, of a couple horses that won't be in the Derby. And uh, I'm going to start out with uh, some late-breaking news on Secret Circle. Uh, that's right, uh, four-time stakes winner Secret Circle, uh, who ran second to the very impressive Bodemeister in the Arkansas Derby. Uh, looks like he's going to miss up to four months with a sesamoid injury, according to Mike Pegram. Uh, it is a sesamoid problem, he said, but we got lucky. He's not going to need surgery, and so he should be able to make it back to the races. Uh, as you may recall, uh, that Secret Circle uh, made headlines last year in the Setnet Jet Breeders' Cup Juvenile Sprint at Churchill Downs. He was a real derby threat. Uh, he won the Southwest uh, and the Rebel Handicap at Oaklawn. He's won over a million dollars. But he's out, and that's going to make room for a couple others. We'll go over the grading earnings chart a little bit later in the show. Uh, a big name in thoroughbred breeding is uh, maybe taking a permanent break, Dynaformer. Now, he's best known for siring Barbaro. Uh, had a cardiac event. Uh, he was one of the most prolific international sires in recent decades. Uh, looks like he's going to be pensioned at Three Chimneys Farm uh, near Midway. They say he experienced a significant cardiac event in his stall Saturday. He's 27 years old, so uh, that pretty much puts him up there in human years. Uh, the son of Roberto, they say he's resting comfortably, and they hope that he'll be okay, but they are going to discontinue his breeding for the years. He uh, covered uh, 20 mares this year, uh, and none of the 13 that have been examined have been pronounced in full. Uh, Dynafor or of course, uh, consistently ranks among leading sires. He's had 129 stakes winners. Uh, he's represented by 10 
stakes winners from foals, plus average earnings of more than $106,000. His horses have won over $110 million. Certainly a fantastic stud career. Well, there's uh, two horses that are going to be on the shelf. Uh, and now for some recent good news uh, from jockey Matt Strait. He went down in a race at Keeneland earlier in the week. And uh, recently I went up on my Facebook page, and uh, according to Matthew Strait himself, he said, Surgery went great. A plate with six screws were put in my left shoulder. No additional muscle, tendon, or ligament damage were done. Surgery took two and a half hours from 10 to 12.30. He actually left the hospital about 3.30 in the afternoon and said he had a peaceful, pain-free night's sleep. He's taking it easy for a few days on the couch, and he wants to thank everyone for their thoughts and prayers. That, again, jockey Matt Strait will be pulling for you to get back in the saddle soon. Well, if you uh, went to the races in central Kentucky this weekend, you probably got there late. <laughs> Keeneland set attendance and handle records. It was just an unbelievable traffic jam. I left on, on a pace that would have got me there a half an hour early. I got there just as the third race was going off. Uh, 40,617, uh, about 7,000 above its previous single-day record. Uh, the, the weather was perfect. Just a fantastic card. Of course, uh, Champion Hansen was going to post. We'll talk a little bit more about the bluegrass a little bit later in, in the show. But it, it turned out to be a, a very good race with some uh, exciting things uh, happening around the race itself, quite frankly. Uh, and more news from Keeneland this week on a national basis. is Again, I'm going to be talking to uh, Jamie Nicholson. Well, his uncle was in the news quite a bit. Uh, Nick Nicholson is set to retire as the president of Keeneland. Uh, at 64, he's been the president of Keeneland for 13 years. And uh, I'll tell you what, I've been a big fan of Keeneland and a big fan of Nick for many, many years. And uh, he was there during a time where you really saw changes. I mean, uh, Keeneland was always about its tradition. And while it's never lost its class or quality, Nick kind of brought it into the next century and started, you know, actually having promotions, uh, bringing in the college student days, uh, having more and more activities to try to get youngsters to the track, uh, continued the great breakfast at the Downs. They even have a mascot this year for the kids to pose pictures with. Uh, you know, Keeneland basically could probably just open up their gates, hit you with a frying pan when you walked in, and you'd come right back next week. But instead, under Nick's tenure, they really uh, moved uh, to, to the front of racing and, again, was voted number one track in the country. Uh, another big news out of Kentucky, they almost got uh, Lasix banned uh, in Kentucky. It was kind of a fast move. Uh, the issue of race day medication uh, it came up, and it was one vote shy of instituting a ban on injections of the diuretic furosemide, better known by Lasix, uh, I just can't imagine the hit that that would have taken the uh, Kentucky industry, especially with what's going on in New York with their purses now and how many horses are already you know, making their way to the East Coast. But nonetheless, uh, it was outvoted, and I'm sure there'll be uh, many, many more discussions about it. But it kind of came up quick and kind of shocked a lot of people that it uh, was going to move forward that fast. Well, uh, if you drive to Keeneland, you get to drive past the legendary Calumet Farm, and it looks like uh, the farm will be sold. Uh, Henry D. Katowski uh, bought it back in 1992 for $17 million. 
and uh, just a gorgeous farm. And of course, the legendary horses uh, that, that that have been there are just phenomenal. Uh, and currently, they are actually you know standing some stallions there. And uh, right now, it looks as though there, there is a buyer that is interested uh, in the horse. Uh, as he said, uh, this is not just a farm. This is Calumet. So um, it looks like uh, the, the farm will remain a farm. I certainly hope so. Uh, an interesting uh, man by the name of uh, Kelly of Bluegrass Hall is uh, going to uh, put in a bid. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he hopes, again, that... Uh, Calumet will continue to be the legend that it always has been. And now time for a recap of uh, some of our races from last year. Um, last year. <laughs> last week, when I had Tom Leach on the show, uh, Tom, of course, uh, 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 doing the handicapping at Keeneland right now, and he's best known for his work with the Wildcats, and he helped us out with some of the racing. Of course, Big race on the card down at Keeneland was the Bluegrass Stakes, and uh, there was a bit of a uh, what they called a tailgate. Uh, looked like earlier in the day, Dr. Kendall Hansen had Hansen's tail actually painted blue. Mike Maker got word from some people that perhaps the horse was not going to be able to start, that the stewards were looking at it. So to err on the side of safety, I believe he had the ink or dye taken out of the tail and as quite a spectacle in the in in the paddock area where uh the uh, many beautiful women uh, in his entourage had blue tails sticking out of their skirts and hats with blue plumage uh but nonetheless uh it wasn't uh there to get their picture taken in the winter circle uh hansen uh, who who was a little rank in the beginning, he broke off from the post parade. If you were there, you saw it, and he just seemed very much on the muscle. Uh, he was cool, calm, and collected in the paddock, but once he got out on the track, uh, Ramon Dominguez had to break him away from the post parade, and I'm not sure if that's what put him on the edge, but he uh, came out of the gate. He got running. I'll tell you what, turning for home, it looked like it was going to be a replay of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. But nonetheless, as predicted here on winningponies.com, this race was to be duel of hands. We didn't know if Hanson was going to get in a speed duel with somebody. He didn't. He pretty much he controlled the, the, the pace himself, and, and it was a good split. I mean, uh, 23-1, and one, uh, 46 and 2, uh, 111 and change, certainly times that, uh, that Hanson can do. But uh, coming late in the lane, rallying from 11th. Then he was 10th. Then he was 9th. Just a beautiful ride uh, by Kent DeSormo. Found a spot, popped through, and got the job done by a length and a quarter. Going away, kind of pulled up kind of quick. Uh, but So after that bad start, uh, Doolahan caught Hanson. Uh, and you never know what Mike Maker might have said uh, to uh, Ramon. He might have said, look, if it looks like you're going to get caught or, you know, if the horse uh, feels tired, this isn't the race we want to win. You know, the race we want to win is the first Saturday in May. So let's, uh, you know, not take too much out of the horse. And then, of course, it raised the other questions. Is Hanson really a mile-and-quarter horse? We will find out in a couple of weeks. Uh, holding on for third, surprisingly a horse that actually went with uh, Hanson a little bit early on, was a stablemate gung-ho with Edgar Prado in the, in the saddle. But nonetheless, it was a Doolahan Hanson exacta as uh, we did give out here on winningponies.com, $23.60 
That, my friends, is a bit of a surprise. Uh, also, Tom and I looked at the uh, the Jenny Wiley, the grade one, 300000 for Phillies and Mares. And uh, upset time in there, James Graham, who always does very well on the Keeneland Turf course, uh, he put Daisy Devine on the lead and stayed there from flag fall to that's all. This was the first grade one win for Andrew McKeever, and I'll tell you what, this guy is really a class act, a good family man. Uh, this horse sold for 5000 $500 going into this race had won over a half a million dollars. It, it did last season win the, the grade two fairgrounds Oaks and uh, a horse that uh, was one for one over the Keeneland turf and loved the distance mile and a 16th of the Jenny Wiley two starts two wins. So congratulations to owner James Miller and trainer Andrew McKeever. Okay. Tom and I then went all the way out to Arkansas, and if you were there, your eyes were a-popping, or if you were anywhere and watched this race, your eyes were a-popping, because there is a new kid on the block, and his name is Bodie Meister. Uh, Bodie Meister has now recorded back-to-back-to-back 100-plus buyer figures. Baffert took a little bit of a chance, took the blinkers off this son of Empire Maker, who's out of a storm cap mare, so he's bred to go a mile and a quarter, Bodie Meister, he's got to be a rising star. Had to break from the outside. Mike Smith just uh, confidently uh, rode him. And coming away from the race, again, they weren't sure. They were you know, kind of debating you know, who Mike uh, w- was going to ride because he had committed himself uh, with uh, uh, Daddy Knows Best just the week before. And, of course, he played it very uh, politically and said, ah, well, you know, let's just enjoy the moment. He knew darn well. He was going to be on Bodie Meister, so he's going, to, he's going to get that call, and it looks like Garrett Gomez will be picking up the mount on Daddy Knows Best. And then we'll take a quick look at the Charlestown Classic. It was a million-dollar race, and it went to Todd Pletcher, who shipped to Charlestown, with Kaxa Electronica, a, a horse, seven-year-old horse now, that recorded his 17th win and added to his half a million dollars. Well, that's a pretty much a quick look at the main races that we looked at on winningponies.com last week and the results and all the late-breaking news. Up next, we're going to talk to James C. Nicholson. I should call him Dr. Nicholson. I believe he got his degree recently. And we are going to talk about a race everybody's going to be watching on the first Saturday in May, the Kentucky Derby. You're listening to winningponies.com. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
When it comes to youth and high school football, listen each week to Coach Al Gross at First and Ten Football. Coach covers vital topics relating to the latest trend on a national level. Join Coach as he interviews personalities from the NFL, NCAA, and the top high school coaches from around the country. Catch all the interviews and get in-depth information online at www.firstand10football.com. Your national resource for youth and high school football. First and Ten Football airs Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, thanks for joining us. And with me again, the man who wrote the book, as they say, The Kentucky Derby. How the Run for the Roses Became America's Premier Sporting Event. His name is James C. Nicholson, and uh, yes, you'll recognize that name. Of course, uh, Nick Nicholson, very much in the news this week, uh, announced his retirement, even though he will stay connected with Keeneland for, for quite a while. I've also had the chance to meet John Nicholson, who I'll find out in a second if that is James' father, and he does an outstanding job uh, running the, uh, the Kentucky Horse Park. Believe me, something you want to put on your bucket list. If you've never been there, you you want to go there. And uh, so, uh, some things I didn't know uh, about the Nicholsons was their their connections. Uh, you know, growing up on farms and uh, having a grandfather that owned one, and watching the Derby from every every angle they possibly could. I, 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 as much as they are all accomplished, I assume they were all born with a silver spoon in the mouth. But that doesn't seem to be the, the way I read it in the preface. So with us right now is James C. Nicholson, the author of the Kentucky Derby. James, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I'm happy to, and I know this uh, this book is. Uh, Fresh off the presses, obviously you picked a good time uh, to be here, and I believe there was even a book signing at Keeneland recently, wasn't there? There was uh, just this weekend. Had a, had a good crowd. Well, from from what I've gotten from the book, I think you're going to get uh, bigger and better crowds. And uh, you know, stay in touch if there's anything I can do to help you promote the book outside of this interview. I'd be happy to. Uh, it, it's a really interesting uh, look at the Kentucky Derby. But before we get into to some of the chapters uh, and uh, uh, that you identified here as important for you. Uh, tell us a little bit of, about your background and, you know, what, what, what drove you to, to write this book? Well, I, I grew up on a, on a horse farm. It was, um, and just to, just to clarify, both Nick and John are my uncles. Uncles, okay. And my dad's name is Joe, and uh, he's in, in horse insurance. So they're all, they're all, they all three found their way into the, Horse world, but didn't didn't grow up in it. They grew up in a small town east of Lexington with no no uh, thoroughbred connection at all. Just kind of that kind of happened. But um, I grew up on a on a thoroughbred farm in in Lexington. It was um, founded by my mom's dad called Johnabelle Farm. And, oh yeah, um, and I I grew up 
playing there when when I was little, and and then working there uh, as a as a teenager, and just uh, yeah, fell in love with the with the sport from from an early age. Well, um, now I understand you are, if I am correct on this, so that you are now uh, Doctor Nicholson. That's right. Yeah, this was. Uh, this book started as a, a research paper in, in grad school um, and then eventually expanded into a master's thesis and a doctoral dissertation. I, I uh, graduated from, from grad school in uh, 2010. Well, as much as, uh, you know, this book, of course, being in, in, in the... Uh, uh, talking about the Kentucky Derby, you, you really, from what I've been reading, uh, you, you're not just focusing on some of the great races and some of the great racehorses. What your book really seems to do is give you a feel for how the Derby wove itself in, into the fabric of the minds of, of people uh, throughout America and the world, the way they look at it. And it's really kind of an interesting history lesson on the state of Kentucky. Um, if I can just uh, read uh, a, a little bit of one of your uh, passages, uh, you say that in the aftermath of the Civil War, Kentucky embodied a constellation of longings and fears that lay at the root of America's emergent national identity. In the American popular imagination, Kentucky was home to both the mountain of the eastern Kentucky highlands and the gentleman farmer of the lowlands. The mountain folk were castigated in the print media as violent, lawless, ignorant, and dangerous people and simultaneously celebrated as a modern link to a racially pure American past. And then the Kentucky gentleman, on the other hand, was more of a refined yet fearless and independent uber-Republican yeoman. Uh, your Kentucky Colonel, uh, a very interesting dichotomy of uh, images that the people and the state of Kentucky evokes. Could you expose on that? Well, that's uh, that is a, a mouthful, um, but uh, yeah, I was um, I was trying to explain um, in, in a way to explain what that. All that stuff has to do with the Kentucky Derby, which might not seem um, immediately obvious to anybody. But um, I, I was trying to explain why the why the Derby became such a big deal, how how um, how it became something that, that people just felt like they had to had to go see on on so many people's bucket lists. And uh, and when I, when I was first Reading and researching, the the, the um, conventional wisdom said that that uh, Colonel Matt Wynn promoted the race, and it it became the success that it was, and and that that story just didn't um, didn't didn't seem satisfying to me, especially when I when I soon discovered that that Wynn had managed uh, more than a dozen race tracks and had ownership interest in in racetracks all all across the country and and none of those produced a, a, a Kentucky Derby so I was uh, trying to explain what was special about about this Derby about the Kentucky Derby and and uh, eventually it it, it uh, became apparent that it was it was Kentucky that was attractive to people at this uh, in the teens and 20s when when the Derby really uh, Really got got going, and so in, in an attempt to explain why Kentucky was alluring 
are appealing to uh, to tourists or to people who are just reading about the race, um, but people who who didn't necessarily follow horse racing were, were interested in this Kentucky Derby, and and um, it was uh, it was because Kentucky had a, a long a long strange history in, in American culture, going back to the days of Daniel Boone, and it it often had uh, this this split personality, this uh, this this dual um, dual imagery associated with it, and that goes back to Boone, where he was a uh, he was a, uh, a a civilizer of the of the the wilderness. So so Kentucky was um, was portrayed from the very early days as a uh, as a an untamed yet civilized place and you can you can see that uh, you can see that reflected even in the in the derby today with the uh, with the infield on on one side of the track and and the posh millionaires row on the on the other um, so the that that split personality split characteristic of uh, of Kentucky is, is 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 what I was referring to, and and at that um, in the in the 1800s when uh, when the Derby was was first uh, founded, first run, um, Kentucky was was often in the in the, in the latter part of the century was uh, was often in the in the headlines uh, as as a place where uh, in the in the mountains people were. Crazy and violent and shooting, um, but then on the other hand, they were uh, they were believed uh, Kentuckians were were believed by outsiders to be these uh, civilized ladies and gentlemen in the in the central part of the state. So both of those elements had 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 an appeal to to Americans and and uh, in in American culture. Well, I, I think a third element too is the, the element of Kentucky being right in the middle. Of uh, the north and the south, and the uh, let, let's uh, say that the ending of, of slavery and Kentucky being right in the middle of it. And what what you do point out is something that I often bring up in talks I give that kind of surprises many people, is that uh, in the first Kentucky Derby, thirteen the fifteen riders were black, and that black jockeys won half of the first sixteen derbies. And 15 of the first 28 derbies, and of course uh, the legendary Isaac Murphy was the first shock to win three derbies. Um, I mean, people really have to read books like yours to understand that. And a lot of times they're just they they're in awe when I tell them these statistics about you know how well black jockeys fared in the early days of the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, that, their their story is becoming known again, but but it was it was lost um, for. For decades and decades, um, but yeah, the, the uh, black jockeys were 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 dominant, um, and then um, almost all of a all of a sudden, around the, the turn of the century, they were they were gone and uh, gone and forgotten. Well, Deshaun Parker's not gone. He's been a leading rider in the United States for the last two years. So <laughs> while they're that's gone right. in numbers, they're not all gone in talent. That's for sure. Now, uh, James, uh, one part of uh, the Kentucky Derby, and people 
like you and me, and I think we, we've got a shared experience. When we started going to the Derby, I started in the infield. It was back in the 70s. It, it was raucous. It was just something else. I was there at the time. I believe the Queen was there, and a guy uh, shimmied up the flagpole and dropped his pants. And, uh, and so the police were waiting for him around the flagpole. And what the crowd did was they kind of crowded in on the police. And by the time he hit the, the landing, he dove over the police and they never got him. The guy got, got away. I mean, this is just one example of something I've witnessed with my own eyes. And I'm sure y- your book uh, states the whole evolvement of the infield from perhaps a leisurely picnic area where the, the, the classes blended in like a like a, a gumbo stew uh, to the fact that uh, it became kind of a spring break event. Right. Um, yeah, my, my first first uh, derby experience in, in person was, was definitely in the, in the infield. I think I was 17 and um, just decided on a whim to, to drive up um, for the for the day with some friends after um, after working on the farm, um, listening to the pre race coverage on the radio, we said we gotta we gotta go see what that's about. And um, yeah, the the infield is is uh, a, a really important, uh, indispensable part of the the derby experience. It's um, and it's it, it's been it's been part of it since uh, since the very first running when people drove their Drove their wagons uh, and carts in there, and it's uh, the, the the presence of uh, of the uh, the wildness, the the drunkenness, the, the sometimes nudity there in the in the infield. I think uh, gives a little a little sense of excitement to uh, to the, the the people on the on the on the grandstand side and. And uh, the, the people in the in the grandstand, I think, give um, make it make it a little more fun for the people in the in the infield to to misbehave. But yeah, the the, the infield has had a a, a, a long and winding um, path and 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 career. At, at times, it's it's been, as you say, a, a picnic area. And in the in the uh, '60s and '70s, it was a it was uh, at, at times a, a site of uh, real, real friction and uh, social protest. Uh, so the, the, those uh, those acres have have seen a lot. They certainly have, and I, all I can tell you is that you've obviously done a lot of research because you bring people, you know, very well through the changes that have happened and how the the. Uh, it, it, it has evolved to where it is today. Well, I don't want anybody to think they picked this up. It's, it's just a history book. Uh, you do go right up to the modern era. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is blessed with some nice photography, of course, uh, a lot of them by my, my, my friend Z, uh, right up to uh, the celebrations of Calvin Burrell and the bald eagle Charlie Whittingham, Stone Farms, uh, uh, Hancock. Uh, you've got uh, you know, D. Wayne Lucas, of course, Bob Baffert that continues to be uh, – a force to be reckoned with uh, in, in the modern-day derby. So uh, it, it takes you right through. It gives you a, a great uh, flavor of Kentucky. You can almost smell the mint julep that's being sold uh, at the Kentucky Derby with this book by James Nicholson. James, uh, any final words on, A, how people can get the book, or, B, if you're going to be out in person anywhere doing signings? I will be um, all around Kentucky and, and even into 
Cincinnati. Um, but uh, generally, the, the, the uh, Amazons and Barnes and Nobles of the uh, of the internet world are, are a good place to to uh, pick up the book. Okay, as they always are. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with uh, Dr. James Nicholson, author of the Kentucky Derby, How the Run for the Roses Became America's Premier Sporting Event. Thank you very much for your time this evening. Uh, We appreciate it greatly, and I hope sales of the book go great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, again, that was uh, uh, Dr. James Nicholson. He wrote the book, The Kentucky Derby. And up next, a guy that could probably write a book about his life. He's uh, he's been around. He's done just about everything, uh, including uh, training 23 stakes winners. Uh, he's uh, a wonderful person to be around. He's a good handicapper. I don't know anybody that's ever said a bad word about him. He could probably correct me on that. But his name is Jude Feld, and uh, you'll hear him on uh, uh Horse Racing Radio Network, and uh, we're going to hear him very shortly. We're going to take a quick break and be right back to talk about horses going into the Kentucky Derby and a couple of important races that are going to be on the card this weekend. That's winningponies.com. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Fantasy Sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play fantasy sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game. Tune in every week as Dish Adams and his guests clue you in on the fantasy football game, what's happening on and off the field, and how it will affect your fantasy team. These experts aren't just beat writers assigned to fantasy football. They live and breathe the game. Tune in to Fantasy Insights with Dish Adams every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And joining me right now will be Jude Feld again. 
a, a guy that has a, a varied past in, in thoroughbred racing at just about every level. Uh, he started out making charts for the Daily Racing Form in Kentucky. Uh, then he decided, maybe I'll try this training thing, and he's assistant trainer uh, to Doug Uju. He'll correct me on that. And then to Julio Canani in California, Jude took out his own trainer's license back in 1980. Sorry to date you, Jude. Uh, he's trained the winners of 23 stakes winners, included the graded winners, Pewter Gray, Steph Graff, and Viel Vion. Uh, retired from training in 2000. Uh, he's now a uh, publicist, a public handicapper, a bloodstock consultant, and he was honored with an Eclipse Award alongside another good friend, G.D. Hieronymus, uh, for their collaboration uh, for If It Was Easy, Everyone Would Do It, that was produced at Keeneland. Just one Eclipse Award? Of course not. Last uh, year, 2010 Breeders' Cup Classic, as part of the Horse Racing Radio Network's broadcasting team. Let me bring him in right now. Jude Fell. Jude, how you feeling, my friend? Well, pretty good after that great intro. <laughs> hey, it's all true stuff. Yeah, I read it on yeah. the Internet. It's got to be true, right? <laughs> That's right. Abe Lincoln said it, right? <laughs> it's, it's probably Wikipedia, and you put all the stuff in there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's pretty accurate, actually. Well, Jude, it, it, it's, it's always good to see your smiling face. Uh, what what uh, I really like uh, about you is I don't know that I've ever run into you a, that when you didn't have a smile on your face and you didn't look like you were enjoying a day at the races. Uh, I kind of, you know, painted with a broad brush your resume there, but, you know, what was your really first uh, interest? I mean, I, I know you started in Henderson, Kentucky at Ellis Park. Uh, where are you from? How'd you get in the game? Well, I'm from California, and when I was a little kid, I loved horses. And, and uh, being from L.A., the only place you could see horses was at the racetrack. And my dad and my uncle uh, used to take me to the races uh, in the afternoon at San Anita, and, and I'd stand down by the paddock and, and just think, wow, wouldn't it be great? Maybe someday I could saddle a horse here. And I was I was pretty fortunate. The first horse that I saddled at San Anita won, so uh, it was it was a surreal day for me. That was uh, back in 1980. So uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Jeff Siegel, who you you know, uh, sure syndicated handicapper and HRTV host. He was my first client, and uh, so it was it was a big day for both of us, actually. Um, now, the how, how did you get from California to Kentucky? Well, um, I actually uh, I, I started at River Downs. Uh, River Downs, um, I, I love that track. <laughs> I went uh, I went to River Downs with Alan Buckdahl, who. Uh, who was invited to call the races there by Jack Hoover, uh, uh, California back in the day. Yeah, it was, uh, 1978 actually. And, and, uh, Alan had never been away from home and, and, uh, I kind of went as his, uh, bodyguard <laughs> and, uh, we went to river and, and, uh, I, I stayed with Alan for a while and the racing for me needed somebody to go to Ellis park. And, um, so Sherman ringy was the call taker there and he taught me how to make the charts of the races. And, then I went to Ellis, and I worked with uh, Jack Valentine and Jerry Fork down at Ellis, and uh, that. Oh was, yeah, boy, was, a lot of great right, racing four names right there, boy. You're bringing up some effort. Oh yeah, great summer, great summer for me. Uh, Don Bernhardt down at, at uh, Ellis Park, and of course the late Cliff Gilliams. I mean, great guys. We had we had such a fantastic summer that summer. It was uh, probably the best summer of my life. I really enjoyed myself. Here I am out of college and just. You know, working at the racetrack, I couldn't have been any happier, really. 
And uh, and then I went back to Santa Anita. They asked me to make the charts at Santa Anita, my home track, and that was a big thrill for me. And then uh, that's where I I met Julio Canani. He was doing the race results on the radio in Spanish for the uh, Spanish-speaking people. And I met Julio, and I started uh, working for him in the mornings. And a few years later, got my own trainer's life. Well, it, it's it's a great game, and uh, you know, as sure as I, I certainly didn't doubt you were. Uh, would turn into a good trainer, but until I pulled it down, I mean, 23 stakes winners, Jude, that's, that's quite a feat. Yeah, I was pretty lucky. I mean, I never had very many horses. I usually had between 14 and 24 horses, depending on, you know, the time of year and what was going on, but I had a relatively small stable. So, uh, I think I won a, a couple of hundred races in, in my career and, and, but 10% of them were stakes. So, I was pretty fortunate to have, uh, you know, a few nice horses and be able to, uh, when I got a good horse, to be able to do something with them. Well, it certainly gives you an edge now as as, as a public handicapper uh, that that you've been, you know, from from the press box to the backstretch and 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 watched the game from many sides. So, um, uh, briefly, um, let's take a look at, at at this year's Derby Field. I, I don't. I want to get into our races here, but I really think it's important to address. Um, who you have seen, because I know you've watched all the races. Um, who's coming to the top for you right now? I mean, what, what, was Bodie Meister that explosively awesome that immediately he, like a meteor, goes to the top? Well, he, he wasn't for me um, for a few reasons. Uh, I, I, I travel around the country, and, and I've seen most of these horses in person. Um, you know, when I'm doing the broadcasting for the Horse Racing Radio Network, we're we're on site at a lot of derby preps. We start in February, and I'm gone pretty much every weekend. And uh, I've seen a lot of these horses run. For me, uh, Union Rags is on top. Um, if you go to my website, uh, racehorsereport.com, I've got my derby list. Just put it out today, actually. And um, Union Rags, I've, I've got him on top. He's a very imposing horse. He's Great Gorgeous. horse. He's a beautiful mover. Um, I, I just think he's got a lot of class. I know some people don't think he can get the mile in the quarter. I, I think they're wrong. I think he's got the right style. I think he should have won the Florida Derby. I don't think it was Julian Leperu's best day as a rider um, that day, and, and he had some trouble. So I, I, I really think he's, he's uh, on top for me right now. Well, um, while we're giving our top pick out, I'll go ahead and give you mine because I don't know how many times you come to a race, you handicap a night before, you find a horse, you absolutely love him, and then the race comes up and, and you go to another direction. Um, I'm really, and, and have since I was watching him break his maiden in person, uh, am a gemologist fan. I just think that this horse has been brought along uh, you know, from point to point, in a matter that just seems to be pointing him to the first Saturday in May. I was so glad to see him get seriously uh, threatened by Alpha in the wood, and it appeared to me that when he when he did get a look at him, he kind of found that extra breath, that extra stride, uh, and showed me that you know he he's competitive and he can go on. He looks like he can rate a little bit. He certainly has speed. Um, and so, yeah, I just I I don't want to get off that wagon, but you know I I do uh, really. I love Union Rags. Of course, what we saw this weekend was an impressive race by Doolahan. The question remains, I know he trains at Churchill Downs, but winning races on dirt is another case. Right. 
Well, I, if you uh, if you look at my website, you'll see I have gemologist second. So uh, we're, we're not too far off there. And I, I pretty much said a lot of the things that you just mentioned. So I think we're on the same page with gemologist. He's undefeated. Undefeated horses have done pretty well in the Derby lately, Barbara and Smarty Jones. Um, so I, I think he's uh, he's definitely the horse to beat. Uh, you know, the horse has never never lost a race. How can you not like that? He's got Pletcher and Javier Castellano in his corner. Um, he's by Tisnow, who's an excellent stallion. So I, I think uh, I think he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. Now, the, one question remains before we uh, get Cap in the Coolmore Lexington is. The curse of Apollo. Will it follow Bodemeister? Yeah, I, I, you know, that's a hundred and thirty-year stat. I mean, <laughs> that's a long time. I mean, uh, yeah, explain to our audience what it is. Well, no, no horse that hasn't raced at two years old has won the Kentucky Derby since eighteen eighty-two. So yeah, that's a long time. Uh, that's even uh, older than my oldest grandfather. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, I I don't know. I, I think that's that's something really tough to overcome. I think the horse is, you know, still developing. He's a little green. Um, he went wire to wire uh, in a field that, you know, the second-place finisher, Secret Circle, uh, maybe stretching his distance capability a little bit at a mile and an eighth. Uh, he didn't come out of the race evidently too good. So I don't know how much was behind him. Um, Saber Cat, you know, they gave him a race uh, in the Rebel. He ran a little bit better. You know, he could be uh, in your trifecta for the Kentucky Derby. But I don't think Bodie Meister beat uh, Tremendous Field. I mean, when you look at a horse like uh, Creative Cause, for instance, it's been at the top of his game and coming out of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which has been probably the greatest key race in my lifetime, where you've got nine horses that ran in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile have come out and one stakes. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, so, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I was going to point that out. Isn't that sensational about this crop? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I've got. I've actually. I, I kind of was laughing at myself before I published my uh, my list because I've got thirteen horses that I think are possible winners. <laughs> I go, that's good. That's more than half the field. <laughs> well, but I'm sure it'll be narrowed down by by race day. I'm going to be uh, doing a a workout sheet for brisnet.com and so as I see these horses train and and see what what's going on with them I'll I'll be uh, able to narrow it down a little bit to my top picks but I think it's a very very wide open race and I think it's going to be a spread race in your pick fours and pick fives on on derby day for sure well you know uh Mike Batagby, I think, you know, hit it right on the head uh, when they was closing out the broadcast last week. He's he'll be the guy that you know obviously is the is the odds maker down there. And he said, right now, I probably see the Derby winner going off at five or six to one. You know, which is yeah. going to be great value if if one of the two of us is really keyed in on a horse we think can win. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's the thing. The favorite is is going to be a big price, and and the the thing that's been interesting about the Derby, at least. In the most recent runnings, the long shots aren't that long. People have a tendency to gravitate to the craziest stuff, like whatever horse Calvin Burrell is riding. Last year they bet on Rosie Naprovnik, right. hoping that girl would win. I mean, some of these horses that de- deserve to be, you know, 30 to 1 or 50 to 1 ended up going off like 18 or 20. They were really horrible 
uh, wagering propositions, you know. So um, it, it's interesting what the what the public does, but it's one of those races where everybody's, you know, shooting for the moon. I mean, there's lots of stories of, you know, $63,000 trifectas and $9,000 exactas. <laughs> People are looking for the life-changing payoff, you know, they they're not looking to make you know six twenty on the derby. <laughs> they want to they want to have uh, one of those you know big payoffs. And who can blame them? I mean, I'm the same way. I I want to I want to take home a pocket full of change. You know. Well, listen, so, I know uh, you're in the Lexington area this weekend. And speaking of pocket full of change, I know some of our listeners uh, rely on our, our handicapping guests to do that. So I'm I'm going to turn us now uh, to the Coolmore Lexington. Uh, a grade three race uh, going a mile and a sixteenth. A lot of question marks in here. Uh, obviously, one horse that could show up in the Derby, uh, Castaway, um, an outside chance with Morgan's Gorilla, who's another maker horse. He's he's loaded this year too. Uh, who's taking blinkers off? Uh, he uh, you know drew the twelve hole last time in the Illinois Derby and missed by three quarters of a length. He's got the hot riding Julian Leparu up. Um, and then you got this big question mark horse from Christopher Clement, uh, the undefeated Summer Front. Uh, Jude Feld, who do you like in the Lexington on Saturday? Well, I, I kind of made the race between uh, one, two, three, and five. Uh, Morgan's Gorilla is coming back a little bit quick uh, for me off of a pretty hard race, um, and then switches to Polly, which uh, he's never been on before. Um, the blinkers off move may, may help, may hinder, I don't know. Uh, Summer Front, I, I really like. I love Clement. I love fresh Clement horses. Um, they usually run great. This horse has uh, won two stakes. He broke his maiden and then came back in a, in a little uh, overnight stake at Aqueduct and then went on and won the Dania Beach at Gulfstream. So he's a, you know, he's a talented horse. He beat a Horse named Finale uh, in the Dania Beach, and I think Finale's a very, very nice turf horse. So and he gets Dominguez back a, in the saddle. Yeah, he's got Dominguez back, and uh, that's kind of interesting too because it's only a two hundred thousand dollar race, and uh, but Dominguez is coming in. I mean, th- this horse, I'm a little bit surprised that they are not keeping him on the turf, but you know, maybe they want to take a shot. I don't know. Um, Johannes Bourbon, the three. There's a lot of smart guys. Um, Tom Lamara, who's a big fan of River Downs and, and Turfway Park, he likes this horse. I noticed on Twitter tonight he picked Johannes Bourbon on top. He's trained by my friend Kellen Gorder, who is a really, really talented trainer. He's very underrated, and um, he, he's a great guy, and he knows what he's doing with a horse. So um, this horse has a couple of question marks stretching out uh off of a maiden win so he's got class and distance to be concerned about but he hires Garrett Gomez to get him around there and we right. all know Gomez does okay at Keeneland and then you got Kenny McPeak's horse Golden Ticket who's on the improve and I think he's maybe the most solid play in the race it's a mile in the 16th uh he's by spikes Tim but he should be able to get that distance he's done it before um, he's run decent races sprinting on the on the poly track, and I think he is a solid wager at six to one with Manny Cruz up. So, um, if I was gonna if I was gonna bet on one horse, I might take Golden Ticket just for the reasons that I just mentioned and his price. Um, he doesn't have any question marks. You know, you know he can get the distance. You know he likes the track. And um, he's six to one. So yeah, and Kenny, who's um, won four training titles there. Uh, 
is not having his best meet. He's due for a big one, and I would not be surprised that it would come in here. Let's move now to the, the grade two Jerome Stakes. Again, uh, this was a race that set up, I believe it uh, replaced the Withers on the calendar. Uh, it, it's a grade two for three-year-olds, as we discussed uh uh, off uh, microphone earlier, there's nobody here that's really going to punch their ticket to the Kentucky Derby. But it is still, this is the kind of race, uh, particularly at a mile, that could set a horse up to to lay low and show up at the Preakness Stakes. Absolutely, and I, I think there's a candidate in here. It's kind of an interesting horse, Brigand for Bob Baffert. Uh, they paid nine hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars for this horse. Uh, and he's a son of Flatter who right, stands, who stands for, for 7,500. 7, and he used to stand for five. <laughs> I know, I believe think, me, I had a mare that think, was bred to him, so. <laughs> yeah, I think this, this, I like Flatter a lot, and I've, I've, uh, recommended to a couple clients that they breed their mares to him that when they were looking for, uh, you know, inexpensive stallions that had some potential. He's a son of AP Indy, and, uh, this horse must have just been an outstanding looking, outstanding moving horse for, Baffert to step up and pay almost a million dollars for him. Also, one of my favorite angles, if you've ever listened to this show, is I love to see an equipment change and then a bullet work. And here we have it. Uh, Breakers on. Horse hadn't been out since March, April 13th. Reels off the best of 16 at four furlongs. That tells me they gave it a test run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's he's obviously got talent. The blinkers should help him based on the workout. You got to like that. His buyers are improving in his last three starts. He went 65, 73, 89. You gotta like that. I mean, there's lots of things to like. Plus, he's Baffert. Nakatani's flying in to ride him. Uh, I really think this, this is gonna be a race. They're gonna see how, if he can get the, the mile, and then maybe if he wins this race, big go on to the Preakness. I think you, you hit the nail on the head that this is the horse that, that's maybe prepping for the Preakness in this race. All right, let's move on to Chicago here. The 60 Sales Handicap, named after a horse who a friend of yours' father owned. And I'm going to spring this on you. Glenn Gremion's father owned 60 Sales. Oh, really? Yes. I did not know that. I actually had a Philly run third in the 60 Sales. Um, Stephanie Graff, uh Ran third. She should have won. My jockey, Kenny Skinner, didn't know where the wire was, and he stood up too <laughs> soon. And we ended up running third. She should have won the race. She well, my, very my notes, my notes here, here, Jude, uh, is, is that this is a very evenly contested race and that all of these uh, fillies and mares have been extremely consistent throughout their career. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice field of fillies. Um, the, the race used to be run at the old Sportsman's Park. That's where I ran third at Sportsman's, but uh, uh, this this race has now been transferred to Hawthorne. It's the 34th running. It's got a long history. It's a very, very nice race. Um, there's a lot of speed in this race, so I, I looked for a horse that maybe could finish, and although a fleeting lady on the rail is trained by Dale Romans and uh, you know, is a filly that can finish. She hasn't been out since uh, Thanksgiving weekend in the Fall City Handicap at Churchill where she got beat in neck. So I, I went with Arena Elvira, the seven. Who beat um, a fleeting lady in that last start. Yeah, she's a she's a golden uh, a ghost zapper filly. Um, she's got a lot of talent. She's won eight out of 13. I love horses that win races. And she's got Jose Lescano. Uh, shipping into Ryder, and he's won a couple of races, three races actually on her. So, um, you know, Billy Mott, uh, Jose Lascano, four to one in, 
in Chicago. I, I think uh, that's probably a good number there. Absolutely. You know, it's not every day you see Billy Mott up at up at Hawthorne Park, so a real good reason to take a look at Arena Elvira. But again, a very, very evenly run race. I think, you know, the, the, the listeners uh, will be using some of the tools that they get from winning ponies are going to maybe find uh, some nice horses to put underneath that they may uh, maybe some over overlays in here. Well, uh, Jude, I've only got about uh, a minute and a half left. I, I want to know uh, where we're going to see you and hear you in the weeks to come. Okay, well, um, Horse Racing Radio Network, uh, you can check us out on the website, uh, horseracingradio.net. Our entire schedule's there. We're going to do shows uh, all through uh, the Kentucky Derby beginning on the 2nd of May with our Derby Countdown shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of Derby. We're going to have morning shows from 8 to 10 on 96.1 The Hank and, of course, on our website. Uh, they're also going to be carried uh, on Sirius Radio. I believe it's going to be Sirius 93, but it's either going to be 92, 93, or 94. Um, so those are great shows to listen to because we have live interviews with the trainers, jocks, agents, owners. You get some great tidbits. Sean Clancy's there looking at the horses in the morning, telling you who's looking good, who may not be looking so hot. So that's a, a show that you really want to tune into for handicapping purposes on on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning of Derby Week uh, from 8 to 10. And then uh, we've got our Kentucky Oaks show uh, beginning at 3 p.m. on Oaks Friday. Uh, we've got our equine form, our regular equine form on Derby Day morning, and then at 2 o'clock, uh, we've got uh, the undercard races starting with the Turf Classic, Humana Distaff, Churchill Distaff Miles, Churchill Downs Handicap, Twin Spires Turf Sprint, and then the big one, the Kentucky Derby, which goes off at 5 o'clock. So. All right. Well, listen, you did, you did your job well. Thanks for being on with us, Jude Feld. Appreciate it greatly. I'm sure our paths will cross on, on Derby Week. That was uh, Jude Feld, ladies and gentlemen, and you heard the schedule. Remember, this show on winningponies.com is on podcast. So uh, any of your friends that you want to pass along to, that you heard something good, that we broke the races down and might want to listen, uh, tell them to go to winningponies.com because they can pick the show up anytime. Uh, we actually get more listeners after the show than we do during the show. So again, I, I want to thank Dr. James Nicholson, uh, author of the Kentucky Derby, uh, my friend uh, Jude Feld uh, with uh, Horse Racing uh, Radio Network, and I want to thank all of you for for joining us here uh, every week. So once again, from high atop the grandstand, overlooking the lush turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhardt, everyone. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.